Thanks for tuning in to the Jazz Violin Podcast. This is episode 24 and you are listening to Thomas Gould. So I can only apologize for being so late in setting, sending this out. Uh, it's been Christmas, so you guys understand, I'm sure. Um, I'm just going to go straight into it. I mean, you can, I can tell you all about the, uh, the Patreon stuff if you want, but I think you get it by now. You can be a patron of me on Patreon. Find me on patreon.com forward slash jazzviolinpodcast and give me some money or something like that. Um, today's guest is Thomas Gould. Or is it gold? Gould. And yeah, he's a he's an amazing classical violinist who um, he tours the world as a soloist, uh, plays with all the top orchestras. Um, but he's also an amazing jazz player and plays with all the, the creme de la creme of British jazz. So uh, I had a chat with him um, early December and... This is the outcome. It was great. Really nice chat to him. I hope you enjoy. Been interesting to hear how you. Well, I just first first of all, how you first started playing the violin, and we could go. Yeah. That. Well, um, pretty traditional story. Born into a musical family. My older sister, Cleo, great classical violinist, leader of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra for years. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so and she, she's 15 years older than me. So like it was a theme of my, of my childhood going to her concerts and, and kind of listening to her rehearse quartets on the top floor of the house and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I started playing violin at three. Mm-hmm piano at six and percussion at eight. And, and then it was, it was all, it was all classical until, um, the, the first introduction to jazz was at, um, at school, um, private boys school in North London, pretty unremarkable school, except at this amazing peripatetic jazz teacher. Okay. Who was that? He's called Fergus Reed, uh-huh. and um, he was he was he was like that kind of sort of dead poet society mm-hmm. type, a totally inspiring teacher who yeah. slash brother who who we all emulated and, and wanted to be. Yeah. Um, and you know he was loud and colourful and and turned up to school in in kind of crazy suits and and ancient um old bangers and um you know he was he was a very very cool guy very inspiring multi-instrumentalist fantastic jazz pianist yeah um and i played drums for for five years through throughout um 
my teenage years because they needed I was already doing classical percussion and there was a there was a really good jazz trio that needed a drummer yeah so I ended up playing a lot of drums and it was in a very small room so it, it was rare that I was allowed to play anything um louder than like wire brushes yeah. occasionally I got to play hot rods but sticks were out of the question oh wow um and that was a really good training um uh just i mean i did i spent years just stirring the soup on 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 the jazz drums yeah for these more more talented um guys in the trio the bass bassist and bassist was will harris who's gone on to be a professional bass player yeah and the pianist sam hogarth was it could have been he, he could have done anything in jazz but he's gone on to be a conductor yeah um anyway so that that i'm going into a lot of detail but that was like the first no details good that was sort of the first um you know kind of gateway into into jazz yeah um and interestingly it wasn't on the violin it wasn't even on the piano yeah. um uh and then later so then at 18 i went to royal academy of music classical yeah. violin and really kind of knuckled down works very hard there was no overlap between the the classical bemars course and the jazz um course so even though people like willem simcock and ivo neem and trish clues they were all at the academy at the same time as me and subsequently i i would i would play with them but while i was at the academy it was like you know classical over here and jazz over there and there was there was sadly no no opportunity to meet um I got, I started playing jazz violin um, kind of through, it was through people like Gwilym Simcock and Tim Garland. Those two were really, really important, but they they wanted um, a violinist to play on their staff who was a classical violinist who played classical violin well, had good rhythm, could sight read, um, but was also a bit, adaptable and, and flexible and mm-hmm. and and kind of understood a 32 bar sequence and yeah. new new words like like bridge and free up mm-hmm. um so i i kind of became their violinist of, of choice for for projects and um recordings they they were doing and gradually through that they they would give me a little opportunity to take a solo on a free up and and then they would be really enthusiastic. And you know, I was like, oh, did that sound okay? You know, didn't I play, you know, play a, a wrong note over that, over that sus chord? Yeah. Um, and, and it was in my kind of nascent attempts at, at, at improvising, they, they, was, they were so supportive and encouraging and kept on kind of giving me more to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... So the, those two guys particularly were a big kind of early um, uh, influence. Um, and then the, the, the big one, I guess, was a little bit later in, in 2011, I got asked to join this uh, swing band called Man Overboard Quintet. Yeah. And I, I was with them for five years. And we it was just in the early years with them playing a lot, playing a lot of kind of relatively low pressure gigs in in pubs and 
um, you know, functions, but just getting really used to just taking a solo mm-hmm. on whatever honeysuckle rose we must have played a thousand times. Yeah. And it was it was it was that experience of just doing it that I'd never really had on on the violin. And and it's it kind of all all came together. The early jazz drumming, the 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 kind of um the 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 confidence that I got from Tim and Will, people like that believing in me, and then and then just practically doing it with uh, in man overboards mm-hmm. with that brilliant clarinetist that you and bleach yeah, yeah. who who um i learned so much from so yeah weird weird journey to jazz but but all of those things kind of were important yeah and that so that but that was happening alongside serious classical study right yeah i mean i've never i've, I've never stopped the, the classical stuff that's been that's been a kind of conveyor belt that's always um been been running uh and i mean I'd, so I'd, i i went i went to academy i was at academy for um five years left in 23 uh, at age 23 but but um already had a job to go to um uh actually two jobs to go to aurora orchestra and britain symphonia yeah which um which i'm still with britain symphonia i left aurora a few years ago having mm-hmm. been been with both both groups for a long time yeah um so I, I never had a kind of awkward gap where i didn't have any work it was it i was lucky that it was quite a sort of seamless transition to fully professional work mm-hmm. and how did you how did you manage you know basically this this serious professional classical work whilst also keeping your jazz playing up to scratch and you know and and practicing jazz and playing jazz in how, how did that work out in my 20s so I'm, I'm 36 now just to kind of give you an idea of the time scale and in, in my 20s i was very uh focused on on the classical yeah and and like and and established Establishing myself as, you know, a serious um, classical soloist and and orchestra leader, and um, in hindsight, I think that was that was probably a good move. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't doing anything for any agenda or anything. It's yeah. just I was I was focused on on you know learning the Tchaikovsky and the Brahms and the Sibelius and all these all these kind of staples of the, of the classical repertoire and they're hard, you know, they take, it takes so much yeah. focus and, and, um, commitment. Um, so I didn't, I didn't really have much time for jazz or headspace for it in, in my twenties. It, it became a thing more, um, well, around t- kind of 2011, that was when Man Overboard started and I started doing a lot more, or jazz Mm -hmm. so that was what eight years ago so i was yeah 28 yeah um but by that point i was already very established as a classical violinist so i think if i'd started with the jazz like at the same time as as trying to establish myself as a as a as a classical violinist it might one might have diluted the other yeah um i mean they're just both so so different hard and time consuming you need to kind of give 
give them the respect and the time that they they deserve yeah um and and then and then once i was really into into jazz i've i've never done enough practice on on jazz you know i i i always feel uh when i play jazz that i'm um you know the the certainly in terms of improvising i feel like i'm the, the weak link on on the stage and I, I think that's that's not just a kind of healthy degree of imposter syndrome which i think we all have mm-hmm. to some extent but i think in my case i think it's warranted because somehow i've ended up playing with with um you know the the, the, the greats of of the uk jazz scene um Gwilym, tim yeah. mike walker um liam noble you know andrew mccormack jason yard the heavyweights yeah and you know i I don't really deserve to be there honestly if i if i if i didn't play this peculiar jazz instrument the violin where frankly there are so few of us Mm. compared you know if i played the saxophone i'm sure there's 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 just no way that i'd get to play with the people i do but um you know i'm lucky in that i play the uh, a, a violin, a, 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 an instrument in the violin, which not many people. I mean, it's such a hard instrument; yeah. it's so hard to even carry a tune and and, hold, and, and keep keep your intonation. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm lucky to get the work, but yeah, I always feel like I'm not not truly worthy um, <laughs> of sharing the stage with with these guys. I think that's a real violinist issue. We were. We're, a lot of people a lot of violinists say that a lot you know it's i think we we all feel because i think it's because the instrument's so hard you know it's 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 a brutal instrument and and it's i don't think any string instrument lends itself brilliantly to um to kind of that kind of playing because it's it's just complicated with coordinating the bow yeah. the, the bow having to having to work out what combination of that and that and yeah. slurring some notes and yeah. and doing that all at high speeds without without thinking about it mm. it's just complicated and a, yeah. a horn instrument doesn't doesn't have that it's more like direct it's just yeah. it's just blowing and and fingers we've got this extra problem of of creating each sound with the bow yeah no, I hear you totally. Even John Luke, John Luke Ponty said quite similar things, and well, what he said is that you know he practices Bach every day, and but he he said that when he when he's been practicing classical music too much, he says his jazz his jazz bowing it's not his left left hand it's his right hand that starts to weaken and he starts to because it's just so it is just so different. Mm. And that was quite eye-opening for me because it really does yeah. show that there's just two separate things. And it's like yeah. I get that legato thing whilst also having rhythm mm. in there. It's mm. it's really difficult, isn't it? It's it's bloody difficult. And um uh I mean the the guys who do it who do it brilliantly, I have such such respect for. Yeah. Um I mean people like Adam Bolditch. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if you've got around to on this podcast I not, yet. I haven't yet. I have. A, we have actually exchanged. Uh, 
we have spoken, but it just hasn't. I mean, he's such he's such a master. Yeah, he's somebody who's who's influenced me quite a lot in in terms of classical right. playing as well. Weirdly, I mean, I don't think he does classical playing, but I remember hearing a track of his. Um, it's the last track on one of his albums, the the one with the Baltic Gang, Imaginary Room. The album's called. The track's called Million Miles Away. And he plays with the most kind of unviolin sound yeah. you've ever heard. It's like it's so wispy, and uh, he, he's maybe using three hairs on his bow. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a kind of false harmonics yeah. sound, but it's it's just it's a sound that you, you're never taught to mm. make on the violin. You know, most violins don't even know that sound is possible. Yeah, and I I just found that so exciting yeah that that he's got these kind of colors and sounds mm. out of his violin that that nobody else can achieve yeah. i love his playing mm. you know what i need to listen to more of his playing actually i really I, from what i've heard it's really i really like it and he writes really nice music as well doesn't he great music and it's and it's it, there's always a lot of space mm. harmonically for soloing on on his on his tunes mm-hmm. and what what i struggle with um, with my own soloing is is you know the kind of giant steps type tune where there are constant changes yeah i get i get a bit overwhelmed because i didn't have that kind of training yeah. you know i didn't i didn't do a jazz course i didn't spend four years um uh you know practicing giant steps yeah. um and and so that that side of of my of my soloing is 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 always playing catch up, um, but but Adam's tunes would probably suit me quite well because you know he'll he'll stay on one on one mm. chord for for quite a long time and he'll take it in in every possible yeah. harmonic direction. Yeah. Um, so you know it never feels boring, but but it's um, harmonically it's it it's not moving as much as 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 some of that that really thorny stuff. Mm. Yeah, like very involved changes are difficult for a for a violin, especially if. Well, I just think it's like a as well that you don't start by playing chords. You never, <clears> you know, you don't. I mean, you obviously, I'm sure you play chords when you're playing <clears> you know, classical solo stuff, but <clears> you don't learn. The, you what, know, you, you mean double stops, triple stops? Well, what I mean is that like. A guitarist, the first thing they're going to learn, or a piano player, yeah. the first thing they're going to learn is yeah. how to play a, a chord. Yeah, yeah. It'll be like you know, first get the chord down, and then we'll work on what to do with that. And I feel like you know, mm. people, like yeah. instruments, like violinists, we just don't have that. We don't, unless you've yeah jazz piano before. Yeah, or the the the, the danger is that that you that you end up improvising so much based on each chord mm. that there's no kind of connection yes. from from one from one to the next. I mean you could That's you can be a great a great improviser and still kind of tr- treat the chords quite vertically, you know. Yeah. G dominant seven. Yeah. D dominant seven. You know, you go from one one to the other. But I think the great improvisers, they don't they don't see it in that vertical way. They just they see like the notes that that belong to both G7 and D7 you know they 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 see the the kind of the the, the horizontal yeah and somebody who does that 
amazingly and who also is, is able to articulate it brilliantly is is Mike Walker. Yeah. This um, yeah. just unbelievably brilliant guitarist who I've been been lucky to be playing with quite a lot the last couple of years. And he's he's kind of I've learned so much about about improvising from from him. Yeah. The way he can just pick out one note. Sometimes he'll just play one note on a on a on a sequence. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that, that note fits on every chord. So yeah. now, so he found this kind of the holy grail. Yeah. You know? And these are complicated changes. Yeah. It's just it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no reason why violinists should 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 see harmony in any different way than a than a sax player or yeah. a French horn player. Maybe it's just that because the te- technique, yeah. the technical requirements of playing our instrument are so hard that yeah. it's it's easy to kind of get get sidetracked by that and mm, and yeah. and spend less time on on you know the 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 kind of overall harmonic analysis skills that that the top players have yeah but there's no excuse no we, no and, no, and no. we and we should strive to yeah. have harmonic perfection i i, I definitely agree I, I don't <laughs> want this to be the the jazz violin excuse podcast by the <laughs> <laughs> um so you know yeah what are some of the tef- technical uh difficulties specifically that have come up for you when when uh when learning jazz or when applying jazz to the violin. Okay. Um, well, I think, I think with that, that sort of articulation thing that we've, that we've talked about, I think it, it, it's, it's, it, it, if you're not absolutely on it rhythmically, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of mercilessly exposing. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's, that's one thing you have to have such like inner, such good inner pulse. I think, there's a there's a temptation with soloing on the violin to kind of rely on gimmicky tricks mm-hmm. like when when the going starts to get tough you know when you get to the sort of the chords on the bridge which are a bit bit more complicated yeah a lot of a lot of even quite well-known violinists yeah. jazz violinists will will kind of go to a bit of tremolo or they'll start trilling yeah. or they'll do that kind of fratres arpeggiators thing um you know with 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 open strings yeah you know there, there are like there are a few few things which kind of sound impressive to non-violinists but, yeah. but we know that actually yeah. that's that's <laughs> tremolo is the easiest yeah, thing yeah. ever <laughs> so so i think try trying to avoid those those kind of get out of jail yeah um cards is yeah. is good um and and I mean, for, for having played a lot of swing now, and and kind of um, got a lot of a lot of those kind of grappelli licks mm. under my my fingers um, through in the the man overboard years. I think it, it's it's trying to resist the urge to just kind of default to those to those things yeah. um, that that you know you know. Will get you through a tune, yeah. But always trying to be, trying to be creative, and, and tr- this is something that 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 amazing jazz teacher I had as a teenager taught us all, and I I still think about it. Is that he would say when you're improvising, try to compose, try to think in melody and and 
and pick out a memorable tune. Yeah. You know, uh, connect, uh, notes that 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 belong to each other. Don't just try to play every note you can. Try to t- try to speak and come up with something that could have been composed. I think that's that's a very a very good kind of life life lesson. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Hey, um, be interesting because you know a lot of the like some of the violinists who I've spoken to who maybe come from like a different generation. Uh, you know, so people like Jean-Luc Ponty, he was a really high level classically. He was, he went to a really, he went to yeah. that, that great school in Paris. Paris Conservatoire. Didn't yeah. he win, win the gold medal? Yeah. Age 21. Yeah. He was, you know. And then he basically... stopped, and then he stopped doing vibrato. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't do vibrato for another day of his life. Yeah. <laughs> Completely gone. But He came up with a bit of sort of snobbery about playing jazz from the from the conservatoire, and he actually had to he had to keep it a secret, or that that he was playing jazz at all, or he would be kicked out of. uh, of There's there's a similar story about Nigel Kennedy when he was studying in New York with Dorothy Delay, a great grandee of of classical violin teaching and she found out that he was playing jazz yeah. he was going to all the all the the night spots and, yeah. and and the jam sessions in new york and and she tried to stop him yeah and i think he went against her wishes and to play with grappelli yeah i think grappelli advised him to do so anyway yeah. so there's a very similar story there with, with nigel did you did you find anything similar no but I or think that's because ever get that? I think because I came to it late, and and had already kind of established myself as as a successful classical violinist. I think that that gave me a bit more. Um, it, it sort of afforded me a bit more more space in in the eyes of I don't know the the sort of classical promoters or classical yeah. music critics or, or the people who are maybe a little bit likely to, to sort of think a oh, jazz violin you know that's that's yeah. a that's a sort of poorer cousin of classical violin yeah. i mean thinking about it there, there have been a few times when um when i mean without without getting people into, into trouble but i can think of having done a um been as an interview situation mm-hmm. that I've done as both as a classical violinist and as a jazz violinist with the same interviewer. Yeah. And when when I turned up with my colleagues in Man Overboard's quintet, yeah. And you know, as a as a jazz violinist that day, there was noticeably a different kind of tone um from the the interviewer it was it was you know it was all it was all fun it was oh you must be having the time the time of your lives and yeah you know have you have you been um uh you know have you had a few a few drinks to you know get get in the mood you know which there was never any any sense of that when we were playing schubert you know if we were on on this on this program to advertise a a a schubert recital at the wigmore hall you know it was all very serious and You know who was your teacher and what what kind of violin do you play? But you know, with, with if we were there for jazz, there was rather annoyingly there was a little bit of that you know, was all it was all sort of fun and oh let's have a knees up and dance. Mm-hmm. 
it's frustrating if yeah. if if that's um you know if you if you've devoted your life to to jazz it's not it's not all a bit of fun yeah i mean there's nothing more annoying as we all know than than playing a gig where everybody's getting pissed and talking over yeah over um over your your, your solos yeah um very very frustrating and that's something that classical musicians never have to experience yeah um so i completely recognize what you're saying but but i think i've been lucky that by and large me playing jazz has only been seen to the sort of wider community as as a good thing that has made me more sort of versatile i mean versatile is a dangerous word isn't it because you know if you, if you become too versatile then there's a danger that you're that you're a jack of all trades and a master of none um but i don't think i've suffered from from that because no. because of having done the classical thing to a high level first yeah yeah, yeah. there was when i did an album a few years ago called from bark to parker mm-hmm. which starts with the Berkshire yeah, Con. great and finishes with um, a transcription of of uh, Jacko's solo on Donna Lee. Yeah. And um, and one of the reviews um, of that album in the Times, I remember it because it it stuck with me. It said, "Better dress sense and haircut," but with this album, Thomas Gould seems intent on becoming the Nigel Kennedy of his of his generation. Yeah. And um actually i i i loved that yeah um i loved that that comment and um you know was 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 flattered because actually nigel kennedy is is somebody who has done both to To i mean a a very high level i mean i know that not not everyone is 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 totally enamored with his jazz playing i think everyone is totally enamored with his classical playing he's 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 one of the one of the the absolute greats but i mean you know whether you love his jazz playing or not it's still done to a very high level and with yeah. with a lot of care and and love and 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 attention so yeah i was happy with that with yeah. that comment in the times yeah do you reckon they were trying to make a snide remark but you... uh i think i think it was a bit snide towards nigel yeah, yeah. but but Nigel's kind of fair game. I think people feel like yeah. like they can they can they say want. say what they want about him now. He's he's um, he's sort of he's above and beyond it anyway. I don't think he cares what what people say about him, which is what makes him who he is. Yes, definitely. Hey, so you know, I I think that I feel like it might be a little bit of a you know a sign of a shift. I don't think that snobbery of of jazz exists as much anymore Mm. i think that's Mm. really good and i think it's great that someone like yourself is you know you're 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 quite unique in that you you do you play classical music to to a to you know a really really high level and then you play jazz and you're like yeah i play jazz and i i you know i think that that's really good for Mm. for the state of violin education and and like for people to realize that they can that string players can do can 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 study improvisation because mm. not many string players do and it's not you don't mm. start with it most i'm sure 
most people listening and yourself and myself mm. included like it, it improvisation wasn't even considered when first talking about the violin and first being taught and yeah i wonder if that'll change you know mm. i think it is i think in in just in the course of of the time that i've been you know an, uh, an adult yeah. i've seen i've seen a, a shift um and i think improvising is is now something that actually happens quite a lot like yeah. quite a lot of the sort of the interesting um chamber orchestras out there i'm thinking groups like um there's a a, a, a swedish chamber orchestra called u modern yeah. um and and we've done it with with britain symphonia mm-hmm. um 12 ensemble you know sort of the, the exciting younger groups out out there they improvise yeah. in in concert i mean not not uh hang on have i just accidentally turned you off uh, you're still with me. I'm Here we still are. with you, but your face has gone, has, has completely. Uh, has, okay, has, I'm back. No, I, pre- I, pre- I pressed the, the power button by mistake. Um, but improvising in in the in the context of a of a of a concert Oops, is something that increasingly happens. I've lost you. Here we go. I'm back. Are you seeing me now? He's back. Um, but it's, it's usually, it's, it's improvising in, in, in a, in a more kind of classical mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it very often ends up sounding a little bit, that's something in between Bach and Arvo Pears. Yeah. Tonal, maybe sort of modal. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I think it's great that increasingly string players graduating from the colleges feel like they can do that and they're not terrified about playing without any any notes yeah. any without any music in front of them you know they'll, they'll they'll give it a go and that's 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 great yeah it doesn't follow from that that they're going to be able to play a solo on a, a jazz tune even yeah. even a blues you know even even the simplest thing yeah. it, it does it requires some some thought and some practice and some mm. some study yeah. And some, you know, it's just some knowledge what what the what the chords mean. You know, yeah. don't don't play an E natural on on F dominant seven. Um and and so classical musicians have to have to know their limits yeah. when it comes to improvising. You know, they, they have to be respectful of you know the, this skill and this language that is yeah. that is jazz improvising and not just be like, oh yeah, sure, well I'll have a go. I'll yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll I, you know I've got I've got Hutzpah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take take a burning solo, and then yeah. it, it just sounds awful. Yeah. I think all jazz musicians have have kind of cringed when when we've seen that happen. Sure. In in the same way that you know, if if a jazz saxophone player, I don't know who's the best jazz saxophone player in the world, Chris Potter. Yeah. I would I would listen to Chris Potter play anything, but if he if he just plays the Glazunov saxophone concerto without um without you know practicing it for a year yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure that i'd like it i'm, no. I'm not sure i'm not sure that it would sound great yeah it's the same it's the same thing you know you need you need to have the respect for the other yeah for the other for the other genres 
uh, a kind of healthy respect yeah. and a curiosity about about it. Yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah, and I, I I think perhaps that comes from from education. I think the reason that maybe there are more sort of classically inclined violinists who will then have a go at jazz and just be like, yeah, I just have a go. I think mo- most of that is actually because there's just not a, it's not something that like we're, I was saying, there's just not something that there's, that they're taught about at all mm. from, from the beginning. Mm. So mm. they see it as a bit of fun and then maybe they try it and they think, Hey, I, yeah, that wasn't that hard. I can do it. Nice. You know? And, mm. and then they're just like, cool. I play jazz. I think that's yeah. just education. And I think the more, mm. and also, yeah, I don't know, the more that people see, violinists see people mm. like you doing both and mm. start saying, hey, well, what is this? Maybe I, maybe I should look mm. into this. And, you know, the more they look yeah. into it and the more their teachers perhaps look into it and say, hey, you should check this out. It's, you know, it's a, it, yeah. it's a completely different way of thinking. The more people yeah. do that, the less likely you're going to have that that thing yeah sort of and it, yeah, yeah like you said jazz to a lot of classical musicians still can be seen as like just ah yeah you know that's mm. just uh you just have a go don't you mm. but well it's it, there's more more to it than that yeah um i mean i think i think as as i've been as i've been playing jazz um you know the more years i've done it the the more i've realized what my strengths are mm-hmm. and and actually that has um it's now become clear to me that that it's the the kind of jazz that i'm best at is is in the context of a concert with somebody like Gwilym. Mm-hmm. i mean there's nobody like Gwilym. Gwilym Gwilym is 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 a one-off because he's able to play bark we, we do bark sonatas together yeah and then and he's able to uh, you know, do do all the all the jazz stuff better than anyone as well. But it's yeah. very rare that one one person can can do both to such a high level. Yeah. Um, but we play bark, we improvise, sort of extemporize on on the bark, um, and we play pieces like Pert Fratres um, with extemporizing. You know, he'll take a solo on one of the variations we, we do sort of there are some classical pieces Bartok Romanian folk dances mm. um Monty Chardas um Piazzola th- often things with a kind of folk theme uh that that actually work very well opened up in a yeah. in a in a with jazz musicians and some careful sort of sensitive arranging so so we we do that and we play a lot of a lot of Gwilym's tunes. We've also played a lot of music by an Austrian composer called Johannes Berauer, yeah. who is a who fuses kind of classical and jazz and leaves lots of lots of space. Yeah. But anyway, what, what I'm trying to say is that I don't I don't although I have done it a lot. I don't think that I'm the best at playing Honeysuckle Rose. You know, there there are so many guys like you, Matt, who who do that better than me and and, and i'm very happy to to leave leave it to to those guys out there who you know who've really kind of specialized on that i've kind of found found my thing but it's it's a weird kind of um 
middle path that goes goes through all these different genres. That's great. It's great. And you know what? It's not enough of that in it's not enough of that in the UK, I don't think. I think that I don't know. Mm. Like doing this podcast is a bit of an eye opener for me in terms of seeing the just seeing like culturally how how musicians here are different to musicians in America, but like mm. there's so much more cross genre stuff happening in America. Cross mm-hmm. genre string playing. Mm. There, you know, blue blue like jazz jazz players who play bluegrass, and mm. that's cool, you know. Or classical players who did a bit who do a bit of jazz, and that's cool. And mm. or jazz players who do a bit, cla- you know. Yeah, people who play Indian music and you know blah blah, all the things. And I think that mm. whereas you know there, that is a thing in the UK, it's so much more, uh, so much more prevalent mm. in in America. Mm. And they and I yeah could be uh, like here it sometimes feels like you you get typecast. And actually, so, someone else, maybe I'm maybe I'm actually just rehashing what someone else on here has said. I think mm. I can't remember who it was, but I remember someone saying that. I think it was John Estridge actually saying mm-hmm. that you just get sort of type people get typecast in the UK. We like tradition here, don't we? We're quite, a, we, you know, we we and we like to, you know, we're like, okay, yeah, that's what happens in this thing. That's what happens, you know. It's different in, and and you yeah. you do this thing and I do this thing and that's that's what we do, you know. And mm. I think it's great to mm. see people doing a mix. I Definitely, I, I think the, the classical world, which is the the world that I really know more about you know i think yeah. that in in recent years that it has had a little bit of an existential crisis and and has lost a little bit of confidence in in itself yeah. and it's tried to kind of gain more relevance by fusing with with other yeah. genres and um and, and i think I mean, people. Joanna McGregor springs to mind as as somebody who I think has has done that brilliantly because she's yeah. she's a, a fantastic classical pianist. You know, great recordings of Goldberg Variations. Yeah. But she's she's kind of made a, a carved out a niche for herself because yeah. how many brilliant pianists are there in the in the world? But she's the only one who who has kind of done projects of Frank Zappa and. Yeah. Moon dog, and yeah. she's she's gone out and found all these. Um, she's done a lot with Andy Shepherd and yeah. and um, and Brazilian percussionists, and yeah. you know she's always she's thirsty to find to find composers that haven't been played to death and that that kind of sit sit in between genres and 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 then play, play it with faultless classical technique. Yeah, I mean she's just the first name that that comes to me, but. I, you know, Jess Gillen. There's mm-hmm. there's a, another one, a classical saxophonist who is who is finding her own path through the genres. Yeah, and that that that's something that is it's a trend that is here to stay. Yeah, and maybe some of the classical purists don't like it. Yeah, maybe some of the jazz purists don't maybe. like it. You know, when I go when I go to the vortex and and see. You know the 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 white-haired guys who the, the real kind of jazz jazz fans who yeah. who um, you know they uh, I'm sure they don't like everything that's happening the, <laughs> the the sort of perceived 
dilution. Yeah. Maybe they don't like seeing somebody like me who doesn't really have any real jazz credentials, certainly in terms of formal training. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you know, they, they, not not everything in that melting pot is going to be brilliant, but some things are and that's yeah. and, and that's that's worth the risk yeah <laughs> hopefully there's, there's also we haven't talked about it but there's the, the all the difficulty of amplifying yeah. the violin in in a jazz context i mean I've, I've always found that as soon as you add drums yeah and the decibel levels go up then then you've got problems and, and there there's so many times when i've um you know had had feedback because my um dpa i've got a bit too close to the monitor and yeah. you know there's been a hideous sque- squealing noise yeah. um it's it's a it's a it's a problematic instrument to to amplify if you're playing with loud instruments and i found that using electric violin is is very often the simplest especially if you're going through effects that is the simplest and the kind of safest yeah. way but it doesn't make the most beautiful noise no no, it's, I, I'm yet to find an electric violin that makes me happy, both in aesthetics yeah. and uh, and yeah. and sound. I I've got it. I've got two. I've got a, a six-string John Jordan, right? Who's a Californian maker, and that's a lovely instrument. Yeah, um, but very hard to play. Have you played on a six-string violin? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's weird. Really, really hard to yeah, everything's just, get to grips with the yeah. the C string and the F string, especially. Yeah, because you just um, see them as like a G string at the end of. The, I don't know. I find it's really difficult to not see those. Yeah, you just you. Uh, yeah, it's hard. It's well. I mean, it's yeah. I guess you practice it and you get it, but it's very hard to play on on the on the G string and this on the C string without rubbing the neighboring strings as well. You've got to ah. be so so accurate with your you know your your level right otherwise everything ends up being a double stop unintentionally yeah uh, but i've i've got that one which i've played mostly classically actually i did did this electric violin concerto by nico muley mm-hmm. a lot um and uh so played on that violin a, a, a lot between yeah. years of 2008 and 2012 and i've got a yamaha a Yamaha four string, which actually yeah. is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it is it. That, the the amplification thing is it's a it's a classic issue for violin because it is mm. it's just not, and that's just what's one of the reasons why it's not been a very prominent instrument in uh, in jazz. Mm. I think because mm. the amplification possibilities mm. to begin with were quite were quite low. But um, I played I, at the Vortex the other night, oh, yeah. and. And just violin and piano, and took everything off, yeah. and just played unamplified, and it Man. was, it was, um, it was such a relief. Man, it's so much better. But you can't, you can't do that with drums, even if you're yeah. playing with the most sensitive drummer. Yeah, and I think you know that's one of the reasons why I, I tend to stick to the sort of more jazz manouche, the gypsy jazz format, because I just really like playing acoustic, and it makes me a lot happier. Mm. But when I mm. When I go to, you know, I just, I've been, I've had loads of different pickups and um, at the moment, yeah. it's really difficult to, 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 it's not, it's nothing wrong with the pickups themselves. It's just like the fact mm. that it is a pickup and it's a different, mm. I find it's a different instrument and guitar, you know, an electric guitarist and an acoustic guitarist, they're, mm. they're two different things, right? And that's, that's mm. like an electric guitar. It's like a different instrument. You have to play it with a different technique. 
you mm-hmm. have to um yeah you have to mm-hmm. play lighter you you do that sort of there's more of a sort yeah. of alternative picking thing going on because if, mm-hmm. you, if you slam it like a, a manouche guitarist does like doing lots of mm-hmm. downstrokes it starts to twang a bit i mean you know there's, mm-hmm. there's crossover but the thing is is that violinists it's it's quite you don't get taught that you have to work that out yourself a lot of the time yeah and yeah if you've say you've you know gone to lots of serious classical study and yeah. then you get a vi- you know to to get all this projection make sure that the sound leaves the instrument in the best possible way yeah and then you put a pickup on it and you try and play like that it's going to sound mm. it's not it's not going to sound right yeah no you're right it's and, very different ball game isn't it yeah and i find someone you know that that the whole if you you know didier lockwood he so i think he managed to find a way of basically creating a different style of and john luke as well of creating a different mm-hmm. style of playing that that revolved around being amplified mm-hmm. um i think it is like that's that, again that's a different it's a new a new aspect you know you work on your you work on all your playing you work on your technique your acoustic mm. technique or you, to, to get swing and then you put mm. a pickup on it and you've got to change it up so mm. Mm. and if you're using a dpa mic it's something i learned the hard way is you suddenly discover that your breathing noise you, you, that you can't you can't yeah. change the bow without without going <laughs> oh do you mean, you mean I, that the bow sounds give, gives a breathing note i just i mean that i breathe i'm a heavy breather when i play ah okay and uh, and when you've got a DPA mic like right next to your nostrils, yeah, it it of course picks it up and 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 amplifies it. Yeah, and then and then you're in a situation where you know you're you're doing. I mean, I've I've noticed this more. It's been a bigger thing when I've been doing big classical gigs in the Albert yeah. Hall yeah. that are are amplified. I do yeah. the like ascending quite often amplifies in in the Albert Hall. Yeah. And the first time I did it, I was like, what's that noise? Because yeah. you know, it's coming coming through the sound system. Yeah. And and then you like, you're trying to play this difficult piece yeah. and you're stressed and you're like, okay, don't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah, stressful. You're being put off by your own your own breathing. It's stressful. Yeah. Yeah. So uh be interesting to hear sort of what you're what you're doing with at the moment, what you're what you're making. Jazz wise. Uh, I don't know, just yeah, whatever. Um, well, jazz wise, uh, we've been, the, the latest project I've been doing has been this, um, this thing with Gwillem. It's yeah. a quintet with Gwillem, yeah. Mike, and, uh, uh, two Austrians, Bernhard Schimpelsberger on drums and Martin Barrow on bass. And, um, that's the group called Hourglass. Mm-hmm. And we play music by Johannes Barrow. Yeah. And the album came out last year. We've been touring it this last year yeah. in Austria a bit and, yeah. UK, great music. Willem and Mike sound absolutely brilliant on on everything on that album, yeah. and um, it was a pleasure to be involved. So we're sort of re- reaching the end of of that. Um, I I still do gigs with um, with Gwillem, mm-hmm. um, sometimes just the two of us, yeah. sometimes with his trio with Asaf Circus and Yuri yeah. Golubev. Um, Tim Garland's a, a regular collaborator and we're working on, um, some new stuff at the moment. Yeah. Um, I'm playing a 
Django Bates has written a violin concerto, and yeah. I'll be playing that in April yeah. um, with Orchestra of the Swan. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I'm playing the Beethoven concerto at the same concert, and Django's written cadenzas for the Beethoven. So yeah. there's a sort of neat, a neat link. Um, but it does mean that I've got rather a lot to do in those in those concerts. Yeah. Um, and um, things that have just come out are um, there's I was I, I led the orchestra for the latest Marius Nesset album. Nice. Which which was a huge um, like honor because I've loved Marius's music since the very first Amazing. album. And um, I got I got to lead and, and play play the solos on um, Viaduct. Mm-hmm. Check it out if you don't know it. It's a, an amazing album. Yeah. Um, played a couple of tracks on Jacob Collier's latest album as well. Nice. Um, Jesse Volume Two. Some very sexy strings yeah. are on um, two of those tracks. A slow bosser called Luar. It's worth yeah. checking out. So yeah, I get I get to do all this very cool stuff um uh which uh, you know it's sort of uh, because i've kind of got that label now as as the as the go-to guy for when you need a a classical violinist who can play jazz and you know you know people sort of think that i that i can do anything which i can't but but i'm I'm happy for them to think that if i keep on getting to play with with people like marius and jacob yeah yeah no yeah, I'm lucky. Like, no one feels like they can do everything, you know. Well, some people do, but they're probably they're probably the ones who actually can't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you've got to be suspicious of anyone who's who's uh, who, who's too confident. Yeah, definitely true. Um, so yeah, I've got 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 nice things, nice things coming up. But I'd say generally, I do less jazz now than than i than i did uh, a few years ago yeah i had for a couple of years i had a series at, at king's place which was mm-hmm. called gould standard yeah and um and i got got my mates along to to do to do things there the, yeah. the, the last the last gig was with alex curtis's group sonic brew yeah. which i which i was with for about 18 months but not doing that now and there was a really nice um, trio gig with an Estonian pianist called Christian Randelou, uh-huh. who's brilliant, worth checking out, and a German cellist called Stefan Braun, yeah, who's who's mega. Um, so yeah, I've done done some fun fun things recently, but that that gold standard uh, stopped for now. We might revive it at some point. Yeah, nice. Yeah, cool, man. Well, I think we've uh, we've done a good one. Hopefully we this choose time. the fat. Yeah, I think hopefully this is recorded properly with this new software. We'll see. Good. Well, I'm happy to sure be be the maiden voyage. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for chatting with me, man. I'm gonna finish. It's a pleasure. I'm gonna finish this live stream now. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Okay. All right, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Nice to meet you. And keep going with the podcast. Yes, I shall. very much for listening to the jazz violin podcast you've been listening to thomas gould 
and myself, Matt Holborn. Um, the just a couple of apologies about the sound. It's a bit funny because I was using some new software, and it just sort of ah, uh, you don't really want to know, but it, it didn't record exactly how I wanted it to. Next time, I've got it down now, so next time it's going to be completely perfect. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, sorry that this is taking so long to come out. I'm just getting it on the by the hair of 2019. So to all of you who are listening um, right now, just before we hit the bells, Happy New Year, or Happy New Year if, to those who are listening after the bells. Um, I'm hoping, well, basically next next month I'm away in India. I'm going to learn some Indian classical music for a month. So it's going to be difficult to get a, a podcast out, but I do have one in the pipeline, and I think I will, but it might be again at the end. I don't know. Maybe not, though. Maybe I'll do it from... Anyway, we'll work it out. Um, That's it, really. Thanks very much for listening. Had a, hope you had a great year, and uh, yeah, here's to 2020. One last thing. I've just... Uh, I'm going to play you some music right now from a new EP of mine with my band the London Django Collective and it's called Carte Blanche it's by me bye
Thank you.